1208, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So, Eric, how are you surviving the, the trauma this morning? Uh, what do you mean? Facebook down. Oh, yeah, right. I, I, it, it's, I mean, there, I don't know what I'm going to do. If, if you go to Twitter, it's like the world has, in fact, ended. Um, Facebook, which has, by the way, been hemorrhaging money over the course of the last couple of days as you have this massive rout in the tech industry that is continuing to go on today. Thankfully, not quite as bad as yesterday, but, it, but it's an ugly, another ugly day in the stock market. But Facebook, which has been coming under a lot of attack over the last several weeks in connection with how Facebook handled the 2016 elections and the fake news and all that sort of stuff, and then how they responded by apparently hiring like political opposition research firms to dig up dirt on some of the people that might be asking them questions at the Senate hearing. Never, never a good thing. And, of course, Facebook, which has always had a history of giving huge money to Democrats, now they've got the Democrats irritated with them. Republicans have never loved them. So now there's all this conversation about do, do does the government need to regulate some of these social media outlets like Facebook, treating them like a monopoly? So you've got all that going on. The stock market is hem- – their stock is hemorrhaging money, and and it's all down today. You know what? For, for those who just use it to – Scan and peruse things, no big deal. But there are some businesses that actually use this to make some money from time sure. to time and all that. So I can see where it could be an issue if it lasts a long time, although just an outage here and there. That You're not panicked. No. You're not. You know, <laughs> no, me, I am not. Yeah, I mean, matter of fact, I said this yesterday. I'm not... I don't. I think I. I think I have a Facebook account somewhere that I haven't tended to for a long, long time. I get these notices saying, "Oh, see how many people have looked at your Facebook account." And I'm like, "Well, I haven't put anything up on the Facebook account in like four years." But um, my wife uses hers, but not not for the political stuff, or more just to check up on. Here, these are friends. Oh, look, these course, are our pictures yeah. from yeah. Hawaii. Look, Grand this is where we were with the grant. Right, exactly. Yeah. So. Um, so far, at least no disaster on our part. We will endeavor to persevere. But it is interesting. One of the things, if you want to see the hot trending thing on Twitter, it's hashtag, yes, Facebook is down. Because <laughs> everybody, they can't get on Facebook. So they're going to Twitter to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. interesting. All right. I, I mentioned this just as an aside before we were starting the show. But I think I'm going to start. Uh, so as a result of that, by the way, Facebook being down, no Facebook Live today. But I, I think I'm going to start the show with just, just your reaction to this. Now, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. I, I sent out a link to this. I I am not a snowflake when it comes to toys, as I said a couple minutes ago. I mean, I grew up in the era of lawn darts. I survived like lawn darts. Gru, you know what lawn darts are, right? Yeah, I mean, see, it's right. It's kind of like horse. For those of you who who might not be familiar with this, thanks to the Consumer Product Safety Commission a number of years ago, I mean, lawn darts are exactly what they sound like. It's like horseshoes, except you have these these big heavy darts that you throw. The brand that you had was something called Jarts, and what you do is you put down these two plastic like hula hoop size rings and then you walk x number of feet and then it's just like horseshoes you chuck the things back and forth and i understand that there is a danger that if you for example throw the lawn jar straight up and it comes down and hits you in the face bad things are in fact going to happen or if you throw them at other kids bad things are in fact going to happen but you know in general most of us survived but the powers that be with the government have decided that these things are too inherently dangerous to be sold so so they're not I, I understand all that. But, of course, I'm the guy that grew up also surviving, you know, playing with sparklers and things of the like. So I was struck when I saw this latest toy 
that is being sold. And, and this is, it's, it's coming out just in time for Christmas. It's one of the big toys for Hasbro. I think it only costs, uh, I think it goes for like $9.99. So you can get this, I believe, for, for 10 bucks. And what it's called, and, and by the way, they say it's appropriate for ages five and up. Now, I don't know if you saw the Marvel movie, The Black Panther based on one of the you know, Marvel characters from years and years and years ago. One of the things that the movie character, the Black Panther, has is he, he has the, these gloves, and the gloves shoot out these, these claws. And so he can use these claws in the movie to, I don't know, scratch at, kill, put the eyes out of, of his opponents. It's similar, if you're familiar with the X-Men movies, it's similar to, like, the claws that the character Wolverine has. You know, you can extend these claws, and you can use them to scratch and claw and all these type of things. All right, so that's the premise. So Hasbro has come out with a toy for Christmas. It's, it's called the Black Panther Slash Claw. $9.99. What it is, it's, it's a glove. Okay. So you put this, this glove on and the glove has one, two, three, four rigid plastic rods that are kind of like shaped like claws. And these are retractable. Here's the way it says. It says, press the claws into a hard surface. They retract, strike your hand forward and they extend. Um, again, rigid plastic claws that you can use to, again, slash at people. Um, here's what the Hasbro says. Kids can imagine slashing into action like warrior hero the Black Panther with this movie-inspired Black Panther slash claw featuring retractable claws that push in and extend out during movement. Press claws into a hard service to retract or strike hand forward to extend. They say it will make children as young as five ready to pounce. Oh, my producer just look at me. All right, let's open up the phone lines. 414-799-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, I, I guess, I mean, my note when I sent out the tweet was, my friends who practice personal injury law are undoubtedly licking their chops over this quote-unquote toy. But, but it does kind of raise this larger question out there. First of all, who would buy a Black Panther slash claw for their five or six or seven year old? That would be question number one. And question number two, why would Hasbro think that this was a good idea in the first place? Now, for its part, I mean, this is going to be listed on the, the list of most dangerous toys that are coming out on Tuesday. Hasbro is saying, well, you know, there's nothing to see here. You know, we vetted this through our lawyers, and, you know, we we think it's going to be, you know, absolutely fine. All right, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I don't come from this from a snowflake perspective. I, I, I get toys are toys. But at the same time, who in their right mind would give a toy like this to a 5- or a 6-year-old? I mean, what are they going to do with it? They're going to claw at, scratch at other people, aren't they? Other kids? 414-799-1620. Would you buy something for a kid like, for a child? Or, or do you think something like this is appropriate for a child? 414-799-1620. Again, I'm not becoming a snowflake. I'm just looking at this and saying, oh, good. 
What does the five-year-old want for Christmas? Let's give him a Black Panther slash claw. I don't think so. 414-799-1620. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Does Hasbro need its head examined for coming up with a quote-unquote toy like this marketed at five- and six-year-olds? Stick around. We'll talk about it. It's 1218, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ, Broadway's brightest light in Wicked and NBC's Smash. Megan Hilty joins the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra from the biggest Broadway showstoppers to poignant, beautiful ballads. We're giving you a chance to see an evening with Megan Hilty and the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. Keep listening all week. Today, today you are going to have not one, but two chances to win a pair of tickets. The show is a week from tomorrow. It's November 28th. Should be absolutely great. I want you to check that out. And again, twice on the show today, you'll have an opportunity to win a pair of tickets. Um, let's see. A lot of text on this. Black Panther slash claw reminds me of Saturday, Saturday Night Live's bag of glass toy from their 80s commercial. Gee, it could be safe and fun as well. All right. Here's a text. I would absolutely, absolutely buy that for a child. When I was a kid, we had swords, guns with plastic, all sorts of toys of that nature, and all purchased at Toys R Us back in the 70s and 80s. We had so much fun. At the same time, we had stick fights, jumped off dams into the river, went hunting with pellet and BB guns. It all comes back to upbringing, but a parent should know best what their child could handle. Well, again, yeah, I... I, I understand, but giving a five-year-old something that you push a button and it extends and hard plastic claws come out, what are they going to do with that? What is the intended use going to be? And my guess is they're going to be, I don't know, scratching their little children or something, their little brothers or sisters or something like that. Somebody sends a text. It's kind of like a, a Freddy Krueger Jr. thing. Yeah, that that's kind of what it is. Hey, See the movie Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, don't worry. You can be Freddy Krueger Jr. here by the Black Panther slash claw. I mean, all you got to do is look at the box. Black Panther slash claw. Suitable for children five years and older. I don't think so. But I guess we'll see whether that is one of the hot toy sellers of the year or not. Coming up on the program later today, before I forget, 2.08, right after the 2 o'clock news, we are going to be joined by Sonny Perdue. He is the Secretary of Agriculture in the Trump administration. He is the Secretary of Agriculture. You might say, okay, Jeff, why, why are you having him on? Because there is a farm bill that is right now tied up in, in Congress over a couple issues, but one of the aspects of the farm bill has to do with preventing forest fires deforestation, money to help make it more likely, less likely that these forest fires will start out. We're going to talk about that because given, you know, all the news in the course of the last couple of weeks about forest fires and the devastation these are causing, the idea that ideas that I think most people would agree that could prevent forest fires now being hung up by politics in Washington. Go figure. All right. When we come back, I want to talk about something I saw last night. And get your reaction as well. Stick around. 1222, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 1224, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It feels like doom and gloom for the Packers as they prepare for the Vikings on Sunday evening. But is there a reason for some optimism? Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio look at the latest playoff scenarios tonight on Miller Lite's Packers playbook starting at 6.07. And that's interesting because that promo kind of leads us into the discussion that I want to have next. Now, I admit... 
when it comes to many things, I am sort of old school. I like baseball games, and I don't mind. I don't mind a low-scoring baseball game. I, I like a two-to-one or a three-to-two baseball game. I don't think that's necessarily boring because a lot of times what that means is you've had you've had a lot of tension. The game has been close. You've had maybe great catches in the outfield or a runner thrown out at first base or at home plate that is, or a crucial you know inning-ending double play when the bases are loaded. I mean, I, I think just because it's low-scoring doesn't mean that it's that it's boring. Matter of fact, I the NBA. I like when the playoffs roll around because in the NBA, that's when a lot of the players decide to start playing this thing called defense and actually trying to stop people from scoring, and they they, they play more intensely. Every possession matters. I mean, I don't care. I, I think a well-played NBA game in the playoffs where one team wins 85 to 80 can be just as exciting as a game in the regular season where somebody wins 140 to 120 or 120 to 110, what, whatever. I mean, it, to me, it, it's all about the plays and the closeness and the intensity of, of the game. So I, I don't need to see a lot of scoring. I don't need to go to that baseball game and see, gee, it was 18 to 16. To, to me, I don't know, that that's almost not like baseball. Well, football for years and years has been moving in the direction of the, the NFL has been with a variety of rule changes. They've been moving in the direction of, gee, what we want to do is we want to open up the game and we want to have a, a ton of scoring. Uh, there's a new generation of football fans who are, who are starting to watch the game and they're used to playing, they're used to playing Madden. I mean, they're, they're used to, this is the kind of football they grew up with where you have the Madden game and you're scoring tens and tens of points. Or they're used to the arena football thing where you have back up and down the field and you don't have defense and you just have this, this huge scoring type of stuff. And that's the type of game that, that I think the NFL wants to see, which means the NFL was extremely happy last night. Last night, you had Monday Night Football. It was one of the marquee matchups of the year. You had, record-wise, two of the best teams in the NFL, the Los Angeles Rams and the Kansas City Chiefs. I think both of them only had one loss. And and they play in this game, and the game ended up 54-51. to The teams combined for over 1,000 yards in total offense. The Chiefs had 546 of them. Uh, the quarterback for the Rams... Threw for 413 yards and four touchdowns. The quarterback of the Chiefs threw for 478 yards and six touchdowns. It was the third highest scoring game in NFL history. Not, not of the year. In NFL history. And if you go back and you watch the game, and I ended up, I, I tuned in in the middle of the third quarter, and it was like 44 to 40, and the Chiefs were ahead. And it was only the middle of the third quarter, but that's because they're just going back up and down the field. Almost no defense. It really looked like, I mean, it looked like a real-life version of a Madden video game. So it ended up 54 to 51, 105 points scored. And there's a lot of talk about this game. Number of people are saying it was an instant classic. This is what the NFL needs to be. This is what people want to see. Essentially, no defense. Let's, you know, we've, we've turned the rules in so that the good offensive team can just go up and down. This is what people want to see. They want to see touchdown after touchdown. All right. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, this to me wasn't, wasn't NFL football. This, to me, again, it was like what you'd expect to see in the arena league or what you'd expect to see in a video game. All right, instead of being the, the future of the NFL, 
I guess I kind of looked at that and thought, gee, at least among traditionalists, this is like the death of the NFL. I don't know about you, but 50 to 45 games or 55 to 50 games every week, that's not something that I am going to have an interest in. 414-799-1620, was this an instant classic like this, or is this not the type of football that you like to watch? We're back to discuss in just a couple minutes. 1228, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 414-799-1620 if you want to join us. 1234, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, so I go home last night, and I, 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 watched, the, I watched the football game. It was close, but it was 54-51. There was no defense played. It, it really reminded me of an arena football league game. And I guess I was sitting there thinking, I, I'm sure the, the powers that be in the NFL are thrilled. This is what they want, high scoring. They think this is the way to attract fans. I wonder, is it really the way to attract fans? Let's start with Buck and Racine. Buck, you're first. Yeah, uh, I'm with you. I'm probably an older, more older dinosaur than you are. But yeah, I got very disinterested in the game last night. Um, basically, the game is down to one phase, so that's passing. Right. And I mean, you, you don't see defense. You don't see, you know, special teams uh, like you used to. I mean, they might as well do like the high schools in the summertime when they have the seven on seven uh, camps and that. Well, I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I, I keep thinking, I, I understand you want excitement, you want close games, and people like scoring, but I, I think, don't people like scoring when it's hard to do it? When it's just when you've got receivers that are running open and you're not playing defense and things like that? I guess I just think it's going to get old. I mean, the New Orleans Saints, what, they're, they're scoring like 38 points or something like this on, on average, and this is what the NFL wants. They want all the scoring, but at some point in time, i got to wonder if people are going to get bored by that. Um, I definitely am, and not not because the Packers are doing so poorly this right. year, but in, in general, it's and it seems like all sports are going to just offense. Well, I mean, th- and, they, it, like I said, no, I mean, it, it, I mean the NF, the NBA, especially during the regular season. That's one of the reasons why I love I love playoff basketball in the NF and NBA because suddenly the players figure out, hey, let's play defense and let's make every possession count. And again, I, I, I don't know what people want. And I, I understand the NFL has been moving in this direction. The NFL thinks a 10-7 to 7 game is boring, and they believe that the majority of fans are going to think a 10-7 to 7 game is boring, and they think that a 42-38 to 38 game is going to be a lot more exciting. Well, okay, is it? And I guess that's what we're going to have to decide. But they're, they're clearly, I think, moving the game towards the, the era of, hey, we've got all the kids that grew up. We've got the, the kids that grew up playing Madden. And, and now, you know, you have all the scoring on the video games. And now they're adults. And they're the people we're trying to market to. Well, okay. Is, but is that what we want? Mike in Chicago. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, Jeff, nice to talk to you. No, I, I, I agree with you. I, I, I remember seeing like a 28, 24 game, 24. 21 game. It's actually as exciting as that game was last night. There's no drama for me because I know when the offense gets the ball, they're going to score. Right. And it's just, uh, it's just, uh, there's no, um, I don't think there's any climax to it either. And being a Packers fan, it makes me even more, uh, sadder and dejected to see how far the Packers are back on their offense as far as their stale approach. So, well, um, yeah, no, know, I mean, I, there's no question. I mean, no, thanks to the call. I mean, I don't want to turn this into a I, – I want to talk about the state of the game in general and whether you find this entertaining as opposed to where the Packers are. But I, I don't think there's any question that Mike McCarthy, 
who was an innovator with the West Coast offense when he took over 13 years ago. That's they're not innovative now. You know that that they're just. I don't think there's any question about it. They they look stale in comparison to some of the stuff that's going on. And my guess is, unless McCarthy can figure out a way to turn it around in the next six games, that's going to what probably costs him him his job because of the way that things have developed. Let's talk to Travis in Whitefish Bay. Hi, Travis. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Appreciate your program. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. I'm a dinosaur like you. I'm 41. I'm a converted Packer fan, grew up with the Cleveland Browns. So I remember <laughs> Kozar and Ernest Beiner and, right. and Jim Brown. But uh, I'm now a Packer fan. And yeah, I see some of the changes in my younger brothers. They're uh, about 10 years or a little bit less younger than me. And when games like this happen, our bonding becomes just, they, they, they go into a completely different gear. It's it's kind of fun to watch but, mm-hmm. uh, because they're excited about it. they they love the fact that it's going up and down and they're scoring and you're, it's not it's not a defensive struggle. Even though last night, admittedly, the defense made some plays, yet the defense had scored some touchdowns. But but they kind of like the pinball machine kind of approach to it. They they find that to be good. Oh, they they love it. They love it. I you know I I don't mind a low scoring game, but those those guys, man, they just they just love those high scoring games. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think, I mean, thanks to God, I mean, I think that's going to be, I, I think that what you saw last night, it is the future. I, I think that's where the NFL has been trying to go with a lot of its rule changes and things like that, making it easier to score. Because my guess is their marketing says, among whatever our core demographic is, whether it's you know men, you know eighteen to thirty five or whatever. I mean, among that core demographic, that's what they like. They they want to see the run and shoot. They want to see all the scoring. That's what is exciting to them. And a 17 to 13 game, just it, it bores them. If people are punting back and forth, that's not what they want to see. So, I mean, I, I think what you saw last night, like it or not, that's you're, you're looking at the future. Let's talk to Ray in Sheboygan. Ray, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Ray. You know, I, I actually am like you. I love defense. I'm a defensive guy. I play defense. Uh, but I kind of disagree with you. I Last night's game was exciting, and not just because of the offense. It was exciting on the defensive side as well. They scored three touchdowns off of defense. There were seven turnovers, including three touchdowns, and another two of those seven turnovers actually – Mm-hmm. were converted into touchdowns mm-hmm. like 10 15 right. yards which is what, what which is what you're going to get when you're which is what you're going to get as a byproduct of just passing all the time you know there, there's going to be there, there was the one turnover i saw that uh, Kansas City scored on the sack <clears throat> where the guy fumbled on the 3 yard line they carried that in for a touchdown i mean yeah when you have that kind of like wide open anything goes games you're you're going to have the defense that's going to make those plays so you found that to be would you Week in, week out, would you love to watch a game like they had on Monday night? No, 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 not every game. But that game, I mean, I watched most of the game. Mm-hmm. And and I actually got caught up into it that I watched the whole thing to the end. <laughs> okay. And and honestly, I was in bed by 930. I was in bed for two hours watching that <laughs> game because I just couldn't turn it off because I'm like, this is unbelievable. They just keep going back and forth. Right. And I... It's a product of the fact that there are so many good offensive teams 
and, and defense isn't that high of a priority at this point. Right. So all the guys are going right offense. Right. I mean, even your best defensive guys in high school are going to offense come college. Right. And um, yeah, no, thanks. For, right. And, and of course, you, you've changed the rules. And, and I mean, they've done this consciously. I mean, they, they've changed the rules to make it more difficult to play defense and to make it easier to they're protecting the quarterback. I get all that. You know, we've had discussions about whether they've gone too far with that. But, you know, you've got that. You've got the rules that relate to, you know, how you can cover things. It is direct. It's the direction the NFL is choosing to move in. Don't, don't get me wrong. And I don't think you can argue it. And you saw all those, to use the cliches, chickens come home to roost last night. To me, the issue is, is that what, is that what the majority of people are going to want to see? Let's talk to Nick in Muskego. Nick, you're on WTMJ. Hey, um, thanks for having me on the show. Thanks for calling. Um, Yeah. um, So how I think of these high-scoring games, basically, is that, you know, you think that these younger individuals, like you were saying about video games, you know, they're they're like high-scoring games because they're getting more used to it. Um, Me being an under uh, younger age individual, 19 years old, I like to see, you know, stronger defenses, you know, a tougher game for that offense. Right. Um, and especially like high scoring games, I would rather see a high scoring game coming from defensive scores. So, mm-hmm. you know, fumble recoveries or interceptions, pick sixes, stuff like that. Right. It just makes the game more interesting because. Um, so from your perspective, just watching offenses go up and down the field, you know, 80 yards yeah. in three plays or something that gets boring to you after a while. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. Uh, like the last year said, he was, he was intrigued by it. Well, this season especially, I haven't been liking watching a lot of the NFL games because they've been so high-scoring, right. and you haven't seen as strong of defenses as at least I'd like to see. So. Right, and, and, and yeah, and thanks, see, I'm, and thanks for calling. Thanks for listening, Nick. I mean, I appreciate the perspective of a 19-year-old. I, I guess th- this is this is the direction, and, and believe me, the NFL, perhaps with the – perhaps with the whole issue of kneeling on the sidelines notwithstanding. I mean, the NFL, they do a lot of marketing studies. I'm sure they spent a ton of money, a ton of money in customer research, and they they know the direction that they think that, particularly in their target audience, that the fans that, that they want to appeal to the most, they know the direction that they, they want to go, and that is clearly let's just kind of open this up, this thing up, and let's – be sort of like arena football. Well, all right, if, if that's what you want, you saw it last night. And again, I, I understand last night was, as an aberration, last night was an incredibly exciting game. I, I get it. My question is, is that what you want to see week in, week out from all 32 teams in the NFL? Joe in Heartland. Joe, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hey, Jeff, how are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. Thank you. My note says you are a Kansas City Chiefs fan. I am a diehard Chiefs fan. I grew up, even though I've been in Wisconsin for 20-plus years, my wife brought me this direction. <laughs> I'd say Packers fan second. However, okay. but, we have, um, but we haven't gotten you to, we haven't gotten you to give up your first allegiance, huh? Well, put it this way. Uh, way back when uh, the Packers were 9-0 and and the Chiefs beat them down at Arrowhead, I took my boys down there. I wore my Rodgers jersey, and I wore all my re- the rest of my uh, Chiefs stuff. So, uh, Got it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 50-50 there. But uh, – and um, yesterday, last night's game was phenomenal, even though we came out on the bottom end of things. But that is the direction to answer your question that we're going. If you look at college football and where college football right. has taken itself, I mean, those 
those players are the players that are going to be in the NFL. Right. And as that migrates, the NFL has had to change the structure of plays, defense, offense, all those different things. And let me throw this out there. If Aaron Rodgers was on the field last night and the Packers scored 51 or 54 points, regardless of what end they were on, I think you wouldn't have too many Packer fans out there saying, well, wait, we never want to see this. They'll want to see 60 points next week. Yeah, I guess if that was, okay, but if the Chiefs were playing in that game every week, would would, would your interest still be as high? If if every game was like that? Because I'd expect it. Okay. I, I, I guess you, you get to the point where you, where you expect it. And, and like I say, the game is changing. Oh, yeah. It's a different game. You know, the, um, the days of that uh, 10 to 6 game is, is, uh, is, is really over. Right. And, unless, and, you, unless you're talking about two dreadful teams. No, you're, no, you're right. No, thanks yeah. for the call. I mean, I, and again, I, I just, it, it is what it is. I hate that cliche too. It is what it is. But the, the reality is, I don't know. Are we going to come to miss the old style football? Maybe. All right. When we come back, uh, some breaking news that was uh, caused by the election two weeks ago. I'll tell you all about it. Stick around. It's 1247. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 1249. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. As we have been mentioning, Megan Hilty, who was in Wicked on Broadway, and you might recognize her or remember her from NBC's TV show Smash. She is going to be performing on November 28th, so a week from tomorrow, with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra. They're going to be doing Broadway showstoppers ballads, um, all the whole gamut of things. And again, it's, it's with the orchestra. It's going to be a wonderful show. I have a pair of tickets to give away. Let's give them to caller number 12 at 414-799-1620. Caller 12 wins a pair of tickets to see Megan Hilty with the Milwaukee Symphony Orchestra a week from tomorrow. Should be an absolutely great show. If you don't win these tickets, keep listening because I have another pair of tickets to give away before the show ends at 3 o'clock. Okay, right before the, the break, told you I had some breaking news. Some people might see this as controversial. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know pussyfoot around this. I, I actually think it is a great choice. Brad Schimmel was the of course the is the outgoing attorney general. Um he's been a friend of this program. I have personally known Brad Schimmel going back to the eighties when I was a federal prosecutor in the US Attorney's Office and Brad was working in the Waukesha DA's office. Brad Schimmel served in the Waukesha DA's office for years and years. He was ultimately um, elected to become the Waukesha District Attorney. He served in the Waukesha District Attorney's office, and then he was elected Attorney General. He served as the Attorney General of the state. As everybody knows, he lost the reelection bid um, at the election, what, you know, two weeks ago. He, he lost that in narrow vote, about 10,000 votes or so out of, you know, more than 2 million votes that were cast. Scott Walker, the outgoing governor, announced today that he is going to be appointing Brad Schimmel, the outgoing attorney general, to a circuit court judgeship in Waukesha County. What happened is there was a Waukesha County circuit judge, Pat Hawney, who's been serving for a number of years. Pat Hawney announced about a month or two ago that he was going to be he was going to be stepping down he he was resigning that created a vacancy governor walker has the complete discretion as to who it is that he wants to appoint to a particular judgeship doesn't need senate confirmation nothing like that the governor had requested people you know and this is what they do when a when a sitting judge steps down what they typically do is they announce 
this vacancy, and they announced that the governor is going to be seeking applicants for the vacancy. So a number of people, I don't know, I'm sure people applied, I, I don't know who, uh, but Governor Walker, it's in his discretion as to who he wants to choose, and as uh, given the fact that Brad Schimmel is, I guess, out of a job come early January, uh, Brad Schimmel is going to be taking over that Waukesha County judgeship. What will happen is he's going to have to turn around and run for re-election or run for election in April. So he, he'll be on the bench starting you know, pretty much as soon as he steps down as the attorney general. He'll be on the bench, but he's going to have to run again in April. Right, it's April of 2019. So um, he's going to have to turn around and do that. So if Waukesha voters have any sort of problems with this, they're going to, you know, they're, they're going to have a chance to vote him out. But I, I doubt that's going to happen. Like I say, Brad Schimmel, um, really, in my opinion, a really good guy. I thought he was a good attorney general. I understand that, you know, voters make choices and elections have consequences. And I, I get all that. And, you know, we're, we're going to have a new attorney general for the state, and that's fine. But Governor Walker deciding that uh, Brad Schimmel was the, the best choice available to him for Waukesha County Circuit Court. So he's made that appointment, and Brad Schimmel will take over the job. He's going to, again, have to run in April for election. So that's the breaking news. We'll be back with more in just a minute. By the way, and I think it's a good choice. I think Brad Schimmel will do an extremely good job as a circuit court judge for the people of Waukesha County. 1254, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 107. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Hey, let me just uh, give you a note. This is it's something I've been involved with for a couple years now, um, and it, this will probably my, be my last year doing it. It's something my wife and I do together. Up in Washington County, a week from tomorrow, uh, the Taste of Washington County, which is an event... It's at the um, it's at the Washington County State Fairgrounds, Wisconsin Washington County Fairgrounds, and what happens is a, a number of, of restaurants from Washington County, but from West Bend in particular, you know, get together and, and they all provide samples of their food. It's an event. It runs from six until ten o'clock at night. All well, the, it's designed. The proceeds are designed to go to the Boys and Girls Clubs of Washington County, which is a, a cause particularly close to my heart. I was there last year. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be back there this year, and I'll be with my wife, and we're going to be serving food. I think we're I'm going to be serving ribs or something. I, I was told, but it's next Wednesday night. They've got a live auction. They've got silent auctions. Um, it's a fun event, and if you happen to be in that area, I would encourage you to stop by. Tickets are available in advance. They're 45 bucks, but it's it's well worth it. Like I said, it's a great charity, and you will not go away hungry. I guarantee it. So it's next Wednesday night, the 28th, a week from tomorrow, Taste of Washington County. And if you're there, be sure to stop off. You won't have any trouble finding me, and I will give you a slab of ribs for you to sample. That's that's the deal. All right. I, I, I didn't oh, – one more programming note. About an hour from now – we are scheduled to talk to uh, a cabinet member from President Trump's cabinet, uh, Sonny Perdue, who is the secretary of the Department of Agriculture. He's the ag secretary. Why, why are you talking to the ag secretary, Jeff? Well, we're actually going to be talking about the, the forest fires that have been decimating California. And there's a bill that is moving its way through Congress now as part of, of an agriculture bill, which is designed to at least – 
make some of these forest fires less likely. And surprise follows surprise. It's being hung up in Congress based on politics. We're going to talk to Secretary Purdue about that. That's coming up in about an hour or so, and I'm glad we could get him on the schedule. All right. I didn't I didn't do this the first hour because it's frustrating, it is depressing, and and you know I always as I always say I, I try to find even in the darkest cloud a, a silver lining, and, and right now I have to tell you I do not have a silver lining for this particular story, and it, it's even more aggravating because it seems like over and over again, particularly when we were talking about issues in the city of Milwaukee, we have a variation of this same story. Ten-year-old girl killed on the playground by stray gunfire. Girl sitting on her front porch killed by stray gunfire. And then last night you have the horrible story about the 13-year-old girl who is killed apparently in her bedroom when shots are fired into the home. She was, Her name is Sandra Park. She was killed on Monday night shortly before 8 p.m. I mean, think about where what you were doing last night. And think think about where you were at 8 p.m. And if you've got children or you've got grandchildren, think about where those kids were. Well, in this case, uh, Sandra Parks was in her bedroom about 8 o'clock in her home. Their home's near like 13th and Hopkins. She's in her bedroom. Um, somebody, and they have a person of interest in, in custody right now. The DA's office will be deciding whether or not there's enough evidence to bring charges. And, and, and somebody just starts shooting indiscriminately at, at the house. And at this point in time, they're not saying what the motive was. They're not saying whether this was, was the person who was shooting into the house, were they trying to shoot and send a message to somebody else that lived in the house? We don't know. Were they, did they have the wrong house? You know, whatever. We don't know any of that now. But what we do know, and this is what the mayor says, that Sandra Parks, a 13-year-old, went into her bedroom. She never came out alive. The mayor goes on to say, tragically, her death was caused by someone who just decided that they were going to shoot bullets in her house, and she's dead. The mayor went on to say she died because somebody obviously decided that they were going to settle a score, express anger, try to scare someone. I don't know what they were doing. And by the way, I, I don't either. But bottom line is... Somebody fires shots at a house, hits a 13-year-old girl. Mayor went on to say, I don't know that the police know what they were doing. All we know is that a 13-year-old died last night in her bedroom. All right. Our our number is 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At least so far, so far, there, there hasn't been this knee-jerk reaction that we get from time to time by people saying, oh, this is a call for more gun control, their need for more gun control. I, that hasn't come out yet. That, that, that may or may not. It, once we find out more about the person who was involved in the shooting and you know what, what their potential motive was. But, but you've got a 13-year-old girl here who is dead. And like I say, this is not, this is not the first time this has happened. Uh, Journal Sentinel reporting at least 91 people have died in homicides in Milwaukee in 2018, most of them by gunfire. About 4% of those were under the age of 10. At least three children were fatally shot in recent years by bullets filed, fired from outside their home, including a five-year-old girl who was sitting in her grandfather's lap at the same time. In 2014, a 10-year-old girl was fatally shot while playing on a playground near her home. All right, I, I want to open up the phone line, 414-799-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text line. And I guess I don't have a specific question 
other than to say, is there anything that can be done to stop this? Or is this just, is this just something that we are going to have to live with on a, a semi-regular basis? I mean, people with the impulse control of a fruit fly arming themselves and then behaving in a reckless fashion with, with a firearm. I mean, is, is there, in fact, an answer for this, or do we just have to live with it? Is, is this a justification for saying, okay, well, maybe we need to confiscate weapons? Is it a justification for saying, all right, we need tougher penalties if it turns out the shooter has a criminal record? I, I don't know. Or is this just what is happening now? And it's not unique to Milwaukee. I mean, this, is, this isn't let's pick on the mayor or let's pick on the police chief or let's pick on the common council. This, this is something that happens on a regular basis throughout this country. It happens in rural areas. It particularly happens in urban areas. But is this just the new normal? 414-799-1620. What do you think? Open conversation. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 115. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 117. Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. The holidays are right around the corner, and we are back with our annual holiday radio show. It's WTMJ Presents the Night Before Christmas, starring Gene Miller, Jane Matinere, yours truly, and a sleigh full of Wisconsin celebrities. It's going to originate from Turner Hall in downtown Milwaukee. It is next Monday, the 26th at 6.30. The live radio play is going to be recorded in front of a studio audience, and you can still be part of it. There are literally about a handful of tickets left. Buy tickets now. Um, go to WTMJ.com or text the word Christmas to 414-799-1620. Should be a lot of fun. We had the table read yesterday. I, I wish I, I had some solution to this horrible story that happened last night. If you haven't heard it, 13-year-old girl in her bedroom in down in the city of Milwaukee, she's killed. Bullet flies through the window, hits and kills her. Eight o'clock last night, she's in her bedroom. Imagine where your kids, your grandkids were at eight o'clock last night. Uh, they've got somebody in custody. They don't know what the motive was, whether this was intended to scare someone or, or whatever, whether it was the wrong house. Who knows? All we know is that there is a 13-year-old who is dead. This is, of course, not the first time this has happened, and I am afraid it's not going to be the last. Is there anything you can do? Vincent on the northwest side. Vincent, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, uh First, my condolences goes out to the family of yeah. the young lady that has been shot, and and I do want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving and <laughs> for you and your family. Same to you, sir. But my, uh, my point is, no, uh, nothing can be done until America comes to grip with uh, the fact that we're a violent country and that individuals uh, 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 are out here taking out whatever issues they have on on uh, on the individuals out here, and 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 it's become the norm that it's, it's with a gun. The individual that, uh, that the doctor that was shot in Chicago, right? By the individual and 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 and, and a young lady, a young a young uh, lady got yeah, shot. At least that I mean, see, at least that one, Vincent. It was was a was a domestic thing. I mean, did, didn't they have a relationship? So you had the you know the upset lover or whatever. At least you can look at that and say, oh gosh, I mean, the the guy shouldn't have acted out in that way. But, you, but in this particular case, just shooting indiscriminately at a house—that's it, it's just so inexplicable. It, it, it is, and so and so. The only thing we can do is capture this individual and put him to, put him in jail for the rest of his life. But the fact is, we'll we'll be back right back here yep. a month from now or 
or maybe a couple of weeks from now, we'll be right back in the same place. Yeah. And, and America just has no answers for, for what's going on. And so it, it, until we decide to say, hey, uh, we had enough, that this is enough, and, and we decide to, to make some changes, uh, I, I, I fear that this is going to continue. Yeah, no, I'm, I, th- thanks for calling. I'm, I'm afraid that, that you're right. I mean, I see no indication. And again, there's all sorts of, there, there will be knee-jerk reactions around, and I, I'm glad at least initially people aren't talking about this as a cause for gun control. I, because, I, again, unless unless we're going to say we're going to start confiscating every firearm that's around and we're going to repeal the Second Amendment, and I'm not getting hung up on the Second Amendment, but that's, that's as, as a practical matter, that is not practical. But to me, it's not the question of are there guns. It's why do people feel free to use these guns so indiscriminately? I have a real interesting text here from Chris. Um, Chris, she writes, Jeff, I've been part of a jail ministry for several years, and I deal with all sorts of stories from inmates. One thing I can tell you is that the breakdown of the family comes back as a common denominator with all these stories. This hits every aspect of life. And until we deal with that, the problem will continue. You know, I think that's a, a very interesting point. And it is a, it is a, it's a politically incorrect point to make because, you know, we, we don't, you know, we don't want to be judgmental. But the truth of the matter is, I think a lot of this does come down to a, a breakdown of the family where you have people who are being raised with no sense of right or wrong. I mean, let me just think about that for a second. I mean, think about your upbringing. I mean, would would it even would it even occur to you to take a firearm and to just shoot at, you know, a house where you know that there are people in there? I mean, clearly whoever did this, I don't think was trying to kill a 13-year-old girl, but but who does these type of things? There's there's somewhere the moral compass has gotten off balance. And, and I, I do think a lot of this, and I understand we don't like to talk about these things because it, it's difficult and it's uncomfortable, but I do think you look at the, like the breakdown of the family structure, and, and this is what you see. Now, I don't know. Maybe maybe this guy that they have in custody now, maybe it will turn out that he was raised by this intact family structure, and you know he had this great family, and this was just somehow he went wrong. And I understand that can happen, but most of the times, that's not what the case is. And I think if you see something like this, I, I think a lot of times it does go back. It does go back to upbringing, and it goes back to a basic sense of... Of, of do you know right from wrong? Because I think most people with any sort of degree of normalcy would know that it's wrong to take a firearm and shoot indiscriminately at a house. Tom in Greenfield. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Jeff, you know, uh, I listen to your show all the time and, and everything else. The thing is that, uh, you know, like it happens uh, last night, we'll all go get nice, warm, fuzzy f- feeling of, of trying to take care of it for a day or a week or a month. And then I'll come back again. It's kind of like Groundhog Day. You listen to the news, and for the first five or 15 minutes, the news, whether it's a carjacking, a shooting, or whatever it is in the city of Milwaukee or in the country or that, it's the same type of thing. The only thing that makes me happy is the weather and the sports, the rest of this, and maybe some events or something like that. But the rest of the stuff is, 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 Makes you sick. You don't want to even turn the TV on or the radio on anymore. Well, it, it is. Uh, thanks for calling. I mean, it, I mean, there is an element of that. I mean, my I kind of start my day. My my when I I get up before my wife, but her big thing is she when when she wakes up, first thing she does is she turns on the news and I, I you know on the television, and it, it's just the first fifteen minutes. It's 
this shooting and this theft and these cars that are broken into and all. And it, it is this kind of relentlessly negative stuff. Now, I mean, I, that's not my worldview. It, it's not. But there's no question there's a lot of that stuff that, that ends up going on. And, and these are the things that hit home. I guess, I, I don't know, maybe maybe we will find out that the person involved in the shooting has you know no criminal record or at all. Here is here's my concern, and I, I think it needs to be twofold. First of all, I, I do think you know you have to address issues of family background. You have to address you know h- how are young people being raised, who's responsible for that, you know what is going on that raises people who who think that okay at the age of eighteen or nineteen. The way to the way to get ahead in the world is just to go out and steal as many cars as I can, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the one thing that's going on dealing with those social causes. I also do believe, and I will continue to believe, that even though some people you know don't like the idea, oh, we can't have mass incarceration. The truth of the matter is that that there there is a generation of career criminals out there. And, you know, you have some that are starting as young as 13 and 14. And if you can figure out a way to rehabilitate them, go with God. I'm all in favor of that. But while you're doing that, you've got to protect society. And that means, right, when people commit crimes and when people commit crimes with firearms and when people commit crimes over and over again, you've got to protect the rest of society by taking them out of society. So, uh, again, you minimize the possibility of some of this stuff happening. I go back to what the police chief said a few weeks ago, and I don't agree with some of the stuff he talks about. But, you know, when you look at the crimes that occur in the city of Milwaukee, for example, the overwhelming percentage of the crimes, 80 or 90 percent, is committed by a relatively small percentage of the overall criminal population, raising the question of why are these people out on the street over and over again? And I don't know anything about the background of the guy that was involved in the shooting, but my guess is... It's going to turn out that it wasn't his first time at the rodeo. 126, Jeff Wagner. In the meantime, we're just going to have to live with these stories, I'm afraid. And I share the mayor's frustration. This isn't something about pointing fingers. It's a larger societal problem, and it's frustrating because I don't know what the answer is. 126, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. It's 135, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This week, I I admit, I'm all screwed up on the days of the week. I, I I was thinking today was Wednesday. And not not Tuesday. That that's fine. Looking forward. Got a lot of stuff for the program tomorrow. And then, as I said earlier, I didn't realize that I had Friday off because when we were owned by Journal and when we were owned by Scripts, the the, the Friday after Thanksgiving was not a holiday. So you had to. I mean, you could take it off, and I, I mean, I did on a number of occasions. But I, I remember this year, I made a conscious decision I wasn't going to take it off. So along comes our new owners, the wonderful people at Good Karma. I love Good Karma. And and I'm I'm looking at the schedule this week, and I see I'm off. And I actually thought somebody had made a mistake. And I went back and said that I was looking to see if I had requested vacation that day. And then they said, no, stupid. It's a holiday. You know, it's a, it's a company-wide holiday. So you're automatically off. You know, we find a fill-in. Okay, and I said, my my only rule with fill-ins is, for the love of God, can you make sure they know how to pronounce Oconomowoc? I mean, that's that's just kind of one of the tests. You know, I, 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 I don't get any say in that, but if we're going to have a fill-in, they have to be able to say Wausau. They have to be able to pronounce Oconomowoc. That's it. You know, we want people to at least be able to pronounce the names of the cities if they're going to fill in. That is my only requirement. All right. Speaking of that, it's no secret that brick-and-mortar retailers – have been having a tough time lately. I mean, you look at what's going on, for example, at Bayshore Town Center, and you've got retailers that are, are leaving there left and right, and they've got plans that what they're going to do is essentially 
demolish a lot of the existing mall and come back and instead of retail, they're going to have an office building and they're going to have apartments and things like that. And so like 40% of the retail ends up going away. The reason, of course, to start talking like that is because you know, brick and mortar retailers are are struggling, and there's a lot of reasons. But I think the big one comes back to the rise of this thing invented by Al Gore called the internet. And now you have all these people, and I I fit into this category who do internet shopping. You know, and it's just, and, and I admit, I I still there are times that I like to go to the store and I like to get stuff. But at the same time, there is this convenience to internet shopping. If I'm, I okay, the other day I was reading. A series of book reviews, for example, and there was this this book that was out there that somebody was recommending. And it was a couple years old. I wanted to get it, so I mean, I could go find a bookstore, see if they might happen to have this this book that's a few years old, or I could simply go to my Amazon Prime account, you know, type in a couple things, and it's delivered the next day. Well, you know, free shipping. So I and I admit, I I that's what I did because I just I didn't have the time to drive to the store. See if they had the book that they might not have had, and then you know it's just easy. I, I order it, boom, it's there tomorrow. That's the appeal. All right, so that's the problem that brick and mortar have, and it's also the problem that people who work in retail have because as the brick and mortar stores go away, those jobs end up going away, and that is unfortunate. One of the flip sides of that, though, is as places like Amazon expand, they they do create jobs. Because even though there's a lot of automation that's there, you you need you still need it still need people at some point in time to fill the orders and to put put the packages and to deliver the things. So it, it's sort of a shift. But Amazon, for all the convenience it offers and for all the harm that it that it arguably does to brick and mortar retailer stores, it, it also does provide people with jobs. So here, here's the deal. They are going to, apparently, this is a, a breaking story in the last day or so. Amazon is apparently close to inking a deal with Oak Creek to build a giant new warehouse facility. Um, the deal is this. This facility, now they've got the one in Kenosha already. This, it's going to be by the freeway and Ryan Road. So you'll have immediate freeway access. This is one of the things that, that Amazon looks for, and it's one of the reasons, for example, like when Mayor Barrett was trying to get a facility in downtown Milwaukee or in the in the inner city of Milwaukee, it's, it's not going to happen because Amazon needs access to freeways to make this work. So what they're looking at is they're looking at building a facility that would be like Ryan Road and I-94. Uh, the facility, the plans are it would stand four stories tall, it would have automated systems to retrieve products stored on the upper level. The facility is expected to have more than 1,000 employees. And I don't have a breakdown on full or part-time, but it's going to be, it's going to be big. There's no question about it. And it's going to be bigger than the one that they have in Kenosha. Apparently tonight, uh, the Oak Creek Common Council is going to be meeting. And then they're going to consider a final agreement between Amazon and the city. They're, um, they've already apparently agreed to, you know, some tax inter- incremental financing to help Amazon with building the facility. A number of neighbors, and I'm, I'm looking at a story on today's TMJ4, number of neighbors are unhappy with, with this. It's going to be 2.6 million square feet, which is huge. Residents in the area, not happy about it. One, 
it's quoted in the story as saying, we knew something was going to be there, but nothing this big. It's going to be double the size of Kenosha. Can you imagine woman saying that the construction there is already causing problems for the neighbors? Beep, beep, beeping, constant beeping. It starts at 6 o'clock in the morning, Saturday and Sunday included. They finish at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, some of the, the neighbors are saying this is too big. We don't want it. Apparently, Amazon is going to lease the facility from the developer. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Again, this is this is vacant area right off of the freeway, Ryan Road and and I-94, essentially. Is is this a plus for southeastern Wisconsin? Is it a plus for Oak Creek? Is it a plus for the area in general? Is this something that we should be happy about? A thousand employee warehouse facility from Amazon, or does this change the character? Do the neighbors have a right to be upset? 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we be thrilled that Amazon is the latest to, to come into the Oak Creek area? What do you think? We discuss next. It's 142. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Local, statewide, and around the country. Breaking news this hour. Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the story. Let's check in with Tony in the WTMJ Breaking News Center. News Radio WTMJ. Louisville Slugger has been making bats since 1884, and together with Big Time Bats, is proud to release this Christian Yelich 2018 National League MVP art bat. Louisville Slugger is also the bat that Christian uses. The beautiful black and gold laser engraved Louisville Slugger Bat features the Brewers logo and the words 2018 National League MVP with stunning reproduced original artwork from famed sports artist Jolene Jesse. Matter of fact, I can say this because my nephew and my grandson are both in school now. I think this is going to make an excellent Christmas gift. They should perhaps not be surprised to find this under their tree. The artwork features Christian's swing of the bat and is truly spectacular. The full-size bat makes a great collectible or gift. It's limited to 5,000 individually numbered bats. It sells for $129.95 plus shipping and handling. Order now for holiday delivery by calling 866-280-BATS or see it at BigTimeBats.com now. That's 866-280-BATS or see it at BigTimeBats.com. All logos are used with permission. Bats are not game-issued or game-used. 144, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. All right, Oak Creek Common Council is meeting this evening, and they are expected to essentially sign off on and ratify a deal which would open the door for Amazon to build a new huge, huge uh, facility right on, essentially it's the freeway, it's I-94 and it's Ryan Road. This would be a new Amazon distribution facility. They estimate that it would employ up to 1,000 employees. I don't have the breakdown between full and part-time, but it, it's going to be absolutely huge. Uh, 2.6 million square feet, a four-story building, so it's going to be bigger than the one they have in Kenosha. Um, some residents are saying, you know, wait a second, this is going to change the character of the neighborhood. What should Oak Creek do? Mike, in Oak Creek. Mike, your neck of the woods. Good afternoon. Yeah, um, I live, uh, hi Jeff, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I uh, live two blocks away from the development. Uh, 
And I went to the planning commission meetings in September and the uh, the meeting for approval of the PIF. Uh, the big concern for the residents was the traffic in that area because yeah. it's bounded by Ryan Road on the on the north, which is a state highway, and Highway V, 13th Street on uh, on the uh, west side. Right. And the the what they were, what they're going to do, and this was approved through up to that point, uh, is all the truck traffic is going to come in uh, on the south end of the property, which is where all the residential is. And uh, we kind of got steamrolled. My my alderman voted against it uh, because of the traffic concerns, and they're just going to gridlock Highway V down there. And again, right now. As uh, as you had mentioned, uh, we can hear uh, the construction going morning, noon, and night here. Um, as far as uh, they're clearing the land, and are already putting it in. So well, let me afraid. ask you this: What's the response yeah. that that you get when you when you show up at these meetings and you say, "Okay, okay look, I, I understand this is a great economic opportunity, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera, but it is going to create this huge traffic gridlock. What what you know? We're going to have trucks going through residential neighborhoods constantly. What's the response you get? It before they had the uh, the traffic study from the state, um, it, it wasn't done at that particular point in time. And while they listened, you know, to our concerns at the meetings, uh, basically, um, in in essence, when they voted for it as it stood from the developer, and at that time, Amazon hadn't been announced as the tenant, but everybody knew that it was going to be Amazon. Right. Uh, they pretty much voted uh, for the development as is. Originally, they wanted to run all the employee traffic out onto Highway V, but I think the state stopped at. Um, again, um, to the north, you've got a state highway there with access to Highway 38, Howell Avenue, in addition to the freeway, so there's more points. And mm-hmm. one of uh, uh, the, the other residents said, well, if you want to run traffic in by the residential down on the south side with all your truck traffic, and they're talking about 250 trucks a day. That's yeah. like uh, oh, yeah. you know, a truck every four minutes coming in there. Uh, he said, uh, and I thought it was a good idea, he said, let's run, the, if you're going to run the trucks in off Highway V, have them exit out on Howell Avenue. I mean, um, I'm sorry, right. on, Ryan, on Ryan Road, and uh, it just seems like they're underutilizing in the plans on what they want to do. And uh, quite frankly, for us, we think it's just going to gridlock uh, Highway V. No. But uh, the, the elected officials did say that they're going to do everything so that the traffic can't go, the truck traffic can't go south on Highway V because we have a lot of children in there. There's, uh, there's, there's subdivisions there. Um, right. There isn't anything else. Now, there's, if I'm right, there's also, there's also, there's an, an industrial park in that area as well. Am I right? Am I picking picturing that that's, correctly? That's correct. On the other yeah. side of the freeway, right. uh, the Aldi distribution center, uh, which I'm not sure how big is, on the other side of um, um, on the north on the north side of, of Highway 100, Ryan Road. So there is already a big distribution center there across from McDonald's. Uh, right. Right. So and, it's that area. Okay. No. Good enough. Thanks yeah. for calling. I want to get a bunch of call four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. And look, I. I, I, I'm somewhat torn on this because I, I appreciate what Mike's talking about, and and you live in a particular community, and all of a sudden you say, "All right, e- even even accepting I'm living next to an industrial park, or I'm living in an area where there's an industrial park and there's vacant land, I got to know that that's going to be developed, and it, it, there might be something." Even understanding that, I, I, I get somebody saying, "Well, I, I might knew I knew this was going to be developed, but I didn't necessarily think it was going to be this enormous thing for Amazon." So I, I am somewhat sympathetic to you know the, the homeowners who live in that immediate area. At the same time, I mean, I guess I look at this and I think this is an incredible. I, again, it's an incredible opportunity for the economic development of that area and the and and the corridor. And I don't think the people in Oak Creek. 
or along that area have ever been made any secret about, hey, you know, we, we want to have this development. This is this is what we're going to do, and we're looking for that type of growth. Now, it is fair to say, all right, maybe we need to figure out a way to, you know, have some access that's not going to have one truck every four minutes going through a residential neighborhood. But you would think that you'd be able to work that out, put in an extra road or something. Nancy in St. Francis. Nancy, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi there. How are you? Very well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, I think we have to look at the opportunities that are opening up for so many Milwaukeeans who need higher-paying jobs and steady jobs. Mm -hmm. So where I live in St. Francis, there's apartment and condo projects going up. And when we moved there 12 years ago, these were all empty spaces of land. And, of course, we knew something was going to go in one day. Right. There was supposed to be a shopping mall across the street from us. That was 12 years ago. It never happened right. because they couldn't get a grocery store to come in. And it was supposed to have a drugstore and a dry cleaners and, you know, various small businesses. Right. right. So, I mean, you just got to put up with the flow. and. Uh, well, that's it. You know, that's what I've always said to, um, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Glendale and I lived in Whitefish Bay for a long time. So I'm real familiar with like the Bayshore area, the Bayshore Town Center. That has evolved o- over the years. It's been through all sorts of different incarnations. And you do have, you know, you have neighbors that are right across the street to the east uh, of where Bayshore is. And, and they're, they've always been very concerned. But the truth is, you know, you're, you're living next to a shopping center. And, and that's just, and the shopping center in most cases predates the houses. You have to, understand that there, there's going to be there's going to be some changes that nothing stays the same forever and and I again I'm sympathetic to the neighbors but at the same time if you live in an area where you have the industrial parks and stuff you got to figure at some point in time somebody's going to put something in there so thanks for the call I mean I guess that that's just and and I do think it is reasonable to say to elected officials, look, these houses are here these people are paying property taxes we have to do everything we can to try to minimize whatever the negative impact is is going to be. And I think that that's a very fair sort of thing. At the same time, again, I I look at this as a wonderful opportunity for economic development in southeastern Wisconsin. Here's a text, Jeff. As a 45-year resident of Oak Creek, I've seen many changes, I'm very and I'm very happy to see this. Amazon Distribution Center being built. It's right across the street from three other distribution centers. People who are upset with it are the ones who built houses near the industrial park, um, and now they don't want the industry. Well, I think it's a little more complicated than that, but at the same time, it is... I mean, I don't know that I think that this is, gee, you build a house next to the airport, then, you know, you shouldn't be able to complain about the fact that, you know, the planes are flying over. I think it's a little more complicated than that. But in on balance, I think this is a real plus for, for Oak Creek. And I think you're seeing all this economic development that's going on in that area, again, because you've got the available land and it's got close access to the freeway. So if you've got this distribution center, you know, it's easy to get to it and it's easy to get out of it. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Yes. Hey, Hi, you know what? Um, I'm seeing such a huge opportunity as you're saying, but more precisely, I've, I've got uh, a young grandson, or son-in-law and I've got a son that, first of all, my son-in-law is a millwright. And so looking at industry and building like this is an absolute boom to his economic future. Number two, my son is looking at more of the electronics and more of the 
putting in of all the different systems of moving goods and services right. across the country. And Amazon, this is a huge benefit to all of us. Right. right. Uh, no matter what, that corridor is going to be filled between Milwaukee and Chicago in the next 25 years. It, it's going to happen. And and I do feel for the residents there. But uh, great yeah. opportunity. Yeah, great no, I, opportunity. right. No, thank, thanks. I mean, I, I, I do as well. And I guess I, I kind of look at these things and I say, and th- this is, this is, I go back to Foxconn, and I understand Foxconn is controversial, but my question was, you know, the day after they announced that the Foxconn facility was coming, would we have been happier if they said, oh, you know, Foxconn has decided to go to Baton Rouge, Louisiana? All right, if instead of getting ready to announce, hey, there's going to be this Amazon facility that's coming, it's going to occupy this vacant space, it's going to provide, we estimate, like a thousand jobs, and it, it's going to, again, make it easier to transport goods and services for those of us who use Amazon, would we be happier with, oh, it's not going to be Oak Creek, it's going to be in Gurney or or, or whatever? I think, you know, we're we're happier than it's in Oak Creek. And again, I'm I'm not trying to be, you know, a marshmallow on this. I get that the people who live in the immediate area have some beefs, and I think, again, they have every right to say you, you need to do this with to the extent you can minimize the disruption to our neighborhoods, to the extent you can do that. Maybe that means putting in another road or, or whatever, you know, an, another entrance or whatever. You, you got to do that or you should do it. And I think that's a fair thing to say. Tony in Waukesha. Tony, you're in WTMJ. Hello. Hello. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I am always in favor of new business and growth, but I think this is happening too quickly on the heels of Foxconn. I do not believe that we have enough people right now with less and what three percent unemployment rate? Right. We're already asking the question: Where are the people going to live? Where are the people going to come from? For the Foxconn, we've got help wanted signs out all over yep. in the various industrial parts. And what about water? I don't know. I don't know enough about that. But yeah. will that also impact? Because there was so much discussion about the draw of water that was going to come out of the Great Lakes from Foxconn. Yeah. So I, I have reservations that. Down the road, it may have been a good thing, but I don't think it's a good thing right well, now. You're a big. I mean, thank, well, I mean, I, that is one of the issues, and it's it's really it's kind of a wealth of riches when you think about it. I mean, I, look, I I remember doing the show ten years ago, and one of the things that we were talking about is, oh my God, we we've got a we we had so many people that are unemployed and they can't find jobs, and we've got to extend the unemployment benefits from six months to a year or a year and a half or two years because people can't find work. Okay, I, that it wasn't that long ago that 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 was the conversation. Now we're talking about, gee, we've got so many jobs. How are we going to fill them? I, I'd, I'd certainly rather have that conversation. And I'm not poo-pooing that concern, Tony. I think it's real. I guess, I, first of all, here, here's what I would be doing if I were Tom Barrett and I were Chris Abley. I would be figuring out everything I could possibly do to help get people who are looking for jobs, say, in the city of Milwaukee, figure out how I'm going to be able to arrange transportation, buses, whatever, to get them you know, to Oak Creek for the Amazon job so they can apply for them. That would be, you know, my starting point. But again, I'll always take this economic development. Gee, we've got, we, we've got to go find people to fill the jobs. That's a much better thing to have than, my gosh, we've got no jobs at all. 157, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. When we come back, we're scheduled to be joined by the United States Secretary of Agriculture. We're going to be talking about forest fires. Stick around. 
It's 207, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I don't know about stealing Christmas, but the uh, Grinch is certainly stealing Thanksgiving in the stock market. You did not hear Melissa wrong. Uh, the Dow down 628 points. The NASDAQ down 152 points. Uh, that's on the heels of a, of a massive sell-off yesterday. Kind of ugly on Wall Street for the last day or two. Hey, it is my very great pleasure to be joined right now by the Secretary of the United States Department of Agriculture, former Governor of the State of Georgia, Sonny Perdue. Mr. Secretary, good afternoon. Thank you, Jeff. Good afternoon to you and your listeners. Well, we're glad to have you with us. I, I, I When I teased your appearance, I said we were going to be talking about about the forest fires, and some people might say the forest fires. What does that have to do with the Secretary of Agriculture? But I, I, I know your department plays a huge role in that, and maybe trying to prevent what's been happening in California from happening again. Well, that's exactly right. Your listeners and thousands and millions of Americans own millions of acres of forest land that the United States Forest Service manages, and that's under the Department of Agriculture. So. We have a real vested interest in managing these forests so we can help prevent many of the forest fires and claim, the, sadly, the lives and property of many people, such as Paradise, California. Mr. Secretary, I, I know there's a, a farm bill that's working its way through Congress um, with a couple hang-ups right now. What, 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 what is in that farm bill that would perhaps help prevent these forest fires from happening moving forward? Well, there's some authorities given for us to manage the forest in a uh, more wholesome and healthy way in creating uh, living forests by thinning and cutting out the uh, undergrowth that provides for these uh, fuel for these forest fires that just keep them from raging and also gives us the authority to provide defensible zones around urban-rural interfaces, urban forest interfaces, where the fires come up and then consume the homes and structures within and Many times, sadly, as we've seen in California recently, the lives that uh, are in those communities. So what we're trying to do is develop relationships with our tribes and our counties and our states with a good neighbor authority to let us strategically uh, do the things, thinning and prescribed burning and those kind of things that can help us keep down the fuel load so it just doesn't rage among us when uh, when lightning maybe happens or, or these kind of things uh, occur. It... Uh, it's like if we had the ability to stop a hurricane, everyone would be in favor of stopping the disaster of a hurricane. We've got the ability to stop many of these forest fires or certainly keep them from doing so much damage to humankind. So that's what we want to do. Now, Mr. Secretary, what where what is the status of, of the Farm Bill? And, and it's my understanding that, at least right now, there's some opposition in the Senate because there's some folks who just don't believe that we should be going in and, and cutting trees out of the forest uh, to, to prevent what you're talking about, the fuel that, uh, that fuels these fires. Well, that is an issue in the uh, Farm Bill, the, the provisions of the Forest Service and the authorities we're given to go and manage the forest are part of the Farm Bill. And what we're asking Congress is to allow us to give us categorical exclusions. When fires occur, let us go in and, and recover that salvage that timber there and help to build, restore the landscape before the rains come and create water quality problems. And those are the things that we need to do. Many times when we try to do that, we're stopped by litigation. While it is true that many of the mainstream environmental groups are realizing that uh, they need to work with us in restoring health to our forests, there's still some environmental groups that don't want to do anything 
think the forests are pristine, left alone, but they're really not. Uh, they undergrowth and provide fuel and ravage fires uh, when they get out of control, and that's what we're trying to do. And we'd love to work with everyone, and we'd love for Congress to give us the ability to, to work with our conservation and environmental groups to demonstrate that we can manage these forest fires. We're not talking about clear-cutting. We're talking about thinning trees to keep insect load and fire load down. Yeah, Mr. Secretary, it's interesting you bring that up because in advance of, of us talking today, I, I I was reading some things, and there, there's some people who are saying, oh, th- th- this isn't about preventing forage fires. This, this is really just a subterfuge by this administration who wants to open up all these forests for clear-cutting by the logging companies and things like that. No, that's not what it is at all. And what we've already seen happen, and we've had two record back-to-back wildland fire years where we spent over $2 billion to suppress fire with loss of life and uh, and property. It's about a good managed forest is healthy. It's beautiful. It supports wildlife. It's better for water quality. Also, recreation. Those people who love to enjoy our forest, you can't go into an overgrown forest and enjoy hiking. There's no way to do that. What we would love to do is create trails and forests that uh, where people can enjoy it, not to uh, this mythical thing of pristine forest where no, never a tree is cut, that doesn't happen. We're talking to the United States uh, Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. Mr. Secretary, you know, earlier this week, or maybe late last week, I, I know some people were sort of mocking the president when he talked about, hey, one of the ways you, you deal with this is, is by raking. And it was like, ha, 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 he, he, he's saying raking. Well, well, the truth is, that is one of the factors that people look at in preventing fires, isn't it? Well, it is one of the things. It's probably not the most efficient way, but a, a natural form of raking that has ha- occurred in nature for years is prescribed burning. In fact, Native Americans used prescribed burning to grow forests, which they knew was better for wildlife. They would grow fresh, lush plants that uh, their deer and other wildlife would feed on, and it created a natural environment for that. We are prevented from using uh, prescribed burning in many places, as well as thinning and uh, taking out the undergrowth that just provides that fuel to rage and the, where these fires can jump a half a mile or more into structures. I, I guess the, the bottom line of all this is given given the, the, the number of far, forest fires that we've seen, it, it really is past time to start doing something. And, and here, I mean, you're looking at least, what, $500 million plus that the federal government would like to put into the, these efforts. Um, this is a bill that really needs to pass, isn't it? Yes, we're way behind the curve. I hope that the Congress can come together on a conference committee. I think the House is uh, uh, is okay with some of the uh, the issues that we can uh, have, and I hope the Senate would come along and agree that we need some greater authorities to uh, uh, to manage our forest and do that in a way that we can make uh, the owners of those forests, American citizens, proud of the product that they that they own and and are part of the beauty of America. Mr. Secretary, when I get the opportunity to talk to uh, cabinet-level officials, I always like to ask an out-of-the-box question or two. Are, 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 you, know, you, you have a very interesting background. You were a governor, the governor of Georgia for a number of years. You, you grew up as a farmer. Are you enjoying your present job? You having fun? I am having fun. It's a great, uh, a great job because of the people. Actually, our constituency, from consumers to farmers, ranchers, are some of the best people in the world. And, I've traveled to 47 states since May of last year, and uh, I love to get out of D.C. and talk to the real people of agriculture because they'll tell you what's on their mind. They'll tell you the 
the regulatory issues they face and the burdens they face and the challenges. Farmers, farming is tough life, It's uh, but they're resilient, and they embody some of the best of American spirit of entrepreneurship and risk-taking and hard work. And those are values that I think help to grow America, and I get to be with these people every week. Uh, Mr. Secretary, I appreciate you being with me for a few minutes this afternoon. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk with you and your listeners. Thank you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. That's uh, Sonny Perdue, and actually that's – that that is the name he goes by. It is not it's not his given name, but he signs everything Sonny. So it's Sonny Purdue. Um interesting guy, grew up in Georgia's farm. He is not related to the Purdue the Purdue chicken industry, that 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 whole huge company. It, it's not that, but fascinating guy, first Republican governor of Georgia, when I think about it since reconstruction, I think uh he was elected in I want to say 2003 off the top of my head, but just a, a really really interesting guy and when had an opportunity to chat with him, especially again when we were started talking about the whole forest fire thing and this is something we discussed last week, the the frustration that a lot of people have. See, let, let me break this down. You have we just like people want to move and live towards water. Um, but as a result, when you do that, when you have more buildup along the coastal lines where you have things like hurricanes and things like that, you have more people that are going to expose, be exposed to that risk. One of the other things that you've seen in, in housing is more and more people want to they want to live close to nature. So they want to live by the forests. They want to live close to that. Well, the problem is. What happens is then when you have a forest fire, for example, something that occurs when there's a lightning strike or in the case of the the campfire in Northern California, I, I think it was like power lines that started sparking or something like that. But whatever, when you have that fire, now you have all this housing that that is close to that and it creates the potential for devastation. One of the things in this farm bill would, first of all, it would give $500 million in an effort to try to uh, allow the federal government to go in and like Secretary Purdue was talking about, clear out clear out the deadwood, essentially after the fires. You know, go in and, and remove this, take away a lot of the fuel for these fires. And I understand that there's some uh, of the the particular left wing, the, the more extreme environmental groups who are saying, oh, no, no, this is this plan. What they're going to really do is we're going to have the, the logging companies come in and they're going to decimate all these federal forests and things like that. We just want them to stay as they are. Well, the problem with that is it's just it it leads to what we've been seeing happening over and over again. And that's why th- this farm bill that's been, again, tied up predominantly in the Senate on the objections of a, a handful of the more aggressively and I'm going to say say, I don't think this bill is a pro-environment or an anti-environment thing but you have some of the people who style themselves as being well we're pro-environment and we don't want to have clear cutting well I don't think anybody's talking about clear cutting what they're talking about is let's clean out the debris and take away the fuel for some of these fires that's what this is all about and the right now the legislation is hung up hopefully Hopefully it will move along as more and more people realize we need to get money to go in and we need to do some of these common sense things in order to make uh, make this whole these whole areas safer and reduce the devastation that's going to occur when you do have the spark that starts the fire. It's 18. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 222 Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. This this next story kind of fits into the category of of no good deed goes unpunished. We we have had 
more than our share of, of just relentless, relentlessly, relentlessly tragic news. I mean, there's just there's just no question about that, you know. And, and of course, today, the story is the little 13 year old girl who shot and killed while she's in her bedroom last night. But remember, about a week or so ago, you had the story of the guy who was huffing whatever, who loses control of the car, crosses the center line, goes through the, the ditch ends up hitting and killing a, a mom and three Girl Scouts who are out there, uh, again, picking up trash along the road. So, I mean, that, this horrible, senseless type of story, and that, of course, occurred up in kind of the Green Bay area. Well, well, here's the deal, and the Journal Sentinel and the Green Bay Press-Gazette reporting this. A local Girl Scout troop leader has lost her job over a, a dust-up with scout management over a fundraiser her troop held for families of that fatal car crash. The, the crash occurred in Chippewa Falls. The, the gal is a um, scout leader in the Green Bay area. Apparently, what they ended up doing is they ended up you know, holding a vigil. This is up in Green Bay, um, getting donations of cash and canned food, et cetera, et cetera. And they, they created like a special badge for this. The Girl Scouts, the organization, apparently has a policy that forbids it from commenting. But what happened, at least according to the the gal that ran this, is that, all right, she was fired supposedly for holding the vigil and opting to raise money directly for families of the crash victims instead of filtering it through the the scout council. What the, the Girl Scout leader says is she learned from Chippewa Valley troop leaders that the preference there from the families was for direct donations. So she sets up this thing saying, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to do this in such a way that the money we get is going to go directly to the, the, the people who've lost their the family members, the people who've lost their lives. Apparently the problem here is the Girl Scouts say, well, no, you shouldn't be doing something that gives them benefit directly. What you should be doing is you should be raising money and then send it to us and then we'll send it over to, you know, the, the people. And again, the Girl Scout leader says, well, the reason I did this is I heard from po- folks up in the area that they just wanted it directly, not going through a middleman. Now, I guess I can understand that, for example, if you're the Scouts, you're the Girl Scouts, you want to control the type of fundraisers that individual troops do. I mean, I, I, I understand that you don't want um, some... Girl Scout leader going off in a renegade fashion and raising money for some cause that, for example, is inconsistent with the purpose of scouting, a political thing, whatever it might be. So I understand why you want to have some control over that if you are, if you're the head of the scouts. That rule would make sense to me, right? In this particular situation, though, you don't have a Girl Scout leader who's going renegade and raising money for some cause that the Girl Scouts couldn't get behind. You're raising money for families of a Girl Scout leader and Girl Scouts who lost their lives. So the idea of whether the money goes directly to the people that need it or whether it passes through the Girl Scout Council and then goes through to the people who need it, to me, that that doesn't make any difference. You know, it, it's a completely and totally a horse apiece. So it would seem to me in this particular case the Girl Scouts to fire the troop leader for taking it upon herself to do this event 
and then to make sure the money gets funneled to where it's going to belong strikes me as being short-sighted and petty in the extreme. And again, the last thing Girl Scouts need right now with all the competition they're getting from Boy Scouts allowing girls to join them and things like that would be to look small and petty. And that's what I think they do. They look small and petty by firing this troop leader who was doing nothing but trying to, I don't know, do the right thing by helping out, again, families that need it. Just saying. It's 227. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 237, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. I have a text here from John, Milwaukee. See, they're trying to bait me. John is trying to bait me here. Two days before Thanksgiving. Jeff. Heard you talking about the hop. I was behind the hop last night after the Bucks game. One person, one person was riding it. I, I, I just, I mean, time will tell you. Really, given the fact that it's free, you're, you're not going to have a real indicator uh, of what the usage is ultimately going to be. And, and I understand that there is a novelty factor with the hop right now. You have people that are going, oh, let's see what the, this is. And, and seriously, I mean, I read the story about it. It was a senior living facility, and they said, hey, let, let, this is our activity. You know, we'll come down, and we'll take a round-trip thing on the hop. Well, they weren't using it, really. They weren't going anywhere. It was kind of like, let's go to Great America and, and go on the ride. And I know that there's this novelty factor out there. And given the fact that it's free, I have no doubt that, you know, you're going to have, you know, attendance numbers. You're, you're going to probably have pretty – if you don't have decent usage numbers the first three months that the trolley is running, given the fact that it is a novelty and given the fact that it is free, if you don't have just off the charts usage numbers in the first three months, well, th- then you really got to wonder, you know, what's, what's going to be happening moving forward. But – John says he was behind the hop last night, 930, and there was one person on it. But, you know, it's again, it, it was cold last night. That's one of my questions, too, given the fact that we have this thing in Wisconsin called cold weather. I mean, are, are people wait for 15 or 20 minutes for something that's going to take them four or five blocks, and then they're going to have to walk another eight or 10 blocks to get where they're going? Or are they simply going to either walk directly there or download an app and take an Uber or a Lyft? Whatever. Time will tell. All right, there was a time when you had major childhood diseases, whether it's measles or chicken pox, et cetera. And then what happened is scientists came in and they developed these vaccines, which essentially eradicated those diseases. Now, let me say up front, for most people, if you get, if you get measles or you get chicken pox, for most people, you're going to be uncomfortable for a matter of days or a week or whatever, but but ultimately you're going to be fine. I mean, that's it. People got measles, people got chicken pox, you get over it, you're uncomfortable, and then you move on with life and you've got that immunity. The problem is there are some people who if they, for example, get chicken pox, they get extremely sick. And there are some people that the disease of chicken pox, as bizarre as this might sound, but it, it can it can actually be, you know, life threatening. I mean, they estimate that um, there was a time where chicken pox, I'm looking at some of these numbers, 4 million cases annually, causing more than 10,000 hospitalizations and between 100 to 150 deaths. Children were especially susceptible. And, you know, the, the problem is that you'd have the, the blisters and all those different things. Chicken pox, because of vaccines, has been essentially eradicated. It has been eliminated because the vaccines are effective. 
Now, you might say, well, if I get my child vaccinated, you know, what's the, what's the, if I don't get my child vaccinated and I'm willing to take the risk, you know, what's the big deal? Other people can get their child vaccinated. So it should be up to me to decide whether I want my kid to be vaccinated from the chicken pox or not. Well, the problem with that is there are some people who, who can't get vaccines, can't get vaccinated. Maybe they're too young. You're talking about infants. Maybe they're people with compromised immune systems who can't handle a vaccine. I, all sorts of people who could be exp- who can't get the vaccine but could be exposed to people who have, in this case, chickenpox, and you can have some very, very bad consequences. Now, the reason I bring this up is that there's an area in North Carolina. Um, it's the Asheville Waldorf School, and it's interesting. It's in Asheville, North Carolina, and it, it's one of these areas where, in North Carolina, the state law says you're supposed to get vaccinations, but they have this clause that allows people to opt out based on on religion okay we our religion prevents us from getting these vaccines so they haven't been vaccinating kids story in the um the, the, the washington post the other day talks about how in this case this school for example what they've seen is that cases of chicken pox have been multiplying at an almost exponential level um they had a dozen infections then it grew to 28 a couple weeks ago by a week ago Friday, there were 36. It's the state's worst outbreak um, since chickenpox vaccine became available more than 20 years ago. Since then, the two-dose course has succeeded in eliminating, eliminating this highly contagious disease that once affected about 90% of people. But what's going on here is you have this, this is a microcosm of something that's happened all across the country. You have people parents who are making the decisions we don't want to get our kids vaccinated and as a result of that you are seeing again in this case it's chicken pox but same is true with measles you are seeing these childhood diseases which were essentially eliminated and now they are making a comeback right i want to open up the phone lines our number 414-799-1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line now last week we talked about the flu shot I went and had my physical last Wednesday, and I, I got the flu shot. I always get the flu shot, but, but I'm an adult. I get to make that decision. And we talked about, I was surprised at the large number of people who don't get the flu shot. But those are adults making these decisions for themselves. All right, when it comes to vaccinations like chickenpox or measles, when you make the decision not to have your child vaccinated, you, number one, expose your child to, again, these potential diseases, but also you expose other people who might not be able to get the vaccine. So let's tee this up. Do we need to figure out ways to require more people to have their kids vaccinated, or is the risk in your mind of vaccines just not worth it? 414-799-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a minute. If you're on the line, please hold on. 244, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. 247, Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We have a lot of debates about, you know, should kids get vaccinated or not? And one of the problems is when you make the decision not to vaccinate your kids, it contributes to what they call, I I call it like herd immunity. Other people call it like community immunity or things like that. But it's the idea that, 
if you have a large number of people who have immunity, then there's only going to be a small number of people who are going to be able to get the disease. Whereas if you have lots of people that aren't vaccinated, the chances of people getting the disease are a lot greater. And do we really want to deal with the return of, of measles? Do we really want to deal with the return of chickenpox? Heather in Belgium. Heather, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, how are you? I am well, thank you. What's going on? What's your story? So um, about a month ago, we actually got an email from the school saying that there was someone in the school with chickenpox. And about two weeks later, I had noticed my daughter, who's 13, she had all the symptoms of chickenpox. And I was like, no way. There's no way you can have chickenpox. You've had vaccination. Um, but sure enough, we went into the doctor and she had chickenpox. So our doctor had actually said, even though you have the vaccination now, because all of these kids aren't getting vaccinated, there's still that small percent chance that they can still get these diseases. And yeah, the numbers I saw, it's a, they, they say the chickenpox disease, the chickenpox vaccinations is about 90 percent effective. But right. obviously your daughter's another 10 percent. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. She had the full blown spots, itchy, fever, everything. And um, we were just in shock when she had it because we she had the vaccination. So. It was, you know, definitely a little scary for us because we have more children in the house. And so right. here we are dealing with something that we thought we never would have to deal with. Right. I, I assume she missed some school because of that? Yes. Yep. We had to report it to the health department. She was not allowed to go back until um, all the spots were pretty much not active. Um, right. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're kind of frustrated with the idea that e- even in your case, you you did everything you thought, which was the, the right thing. Here, we get my child right. vaccinated. But even that, because some of the kid made some of the kid's parents made the decision not to, your child still got sick. Exactly. Yeah. So now we're at risk for whatever else, because even though my kids are vaccinated, they still can get all of these sicknesses that we thought that they wouldn't yeah. have to be exposed to. It's, so, got, it's yeah. got to be a little bit frustrating, I would imagine, Heather. A little bit? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is. I mean, doctor bills, missing school, all these things, you know, you try to prevent that. And now we're kind of right right where we were. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. Th- thanks for calling. And you make a good point because, like I say, the, these, the vaccines, it's like the flu vaccine, okay? Just because you get the flu shot, that's no, that's no guarantee that you're not going to get the flu. It it makes it less likely, and it gives you protections against certain strains. But, yes, it is possible you can get the flu shot, you can get the, get the flu. And in Heather's case, yes, it, it's true that, you know, she gets the chickenpox vaccine, but she's, their daughter still ends up getting it. But, again, it, it's because you had unvaccinated children in the first place who got sick. Now, somebody sent me a text saying, well, what's the big deal if you have a vaccinated child what do you care if the kid next door has the chicken pox? Well, first of all, like as Heather said, the, 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 the vaccine is only about 90% effective. But that's not the larger concern. The larger concern is that there are, there are people, again, with, first of all, there's, there's infants. And then you've got other children and adults that have compromised immune systems who can't get the vaccine. Not everybody can get the vaccine, so they can't get it. So you have, let's say you have a five- or six-year-old that's got a compromised immune system. And look, I understand, for most people, you get the measles, you get the chicken pox. You maybe, maybe that happened to you when you were a kid, and you say, well, what was the big deal? I felt like crap for you know five or six days, and it was itchy, and it was miserable, but I got over it, and it's fine, and, and now I've got the immunity. Okay, so I mean, I, I understand that that's out there, and that's how it is for most people. But what if you've got 
again, that five or six year old with the compromised immune system who's, you know, at first grade or kindergarten or whatever, and the kid comes in and again, whether it's measles or chicken pox, you're a carrier for several days before it's apparent what you have. So you come into kindergarten or whatever, and you've got the kid that's got chicken pox, but it hasn't shown up yet, and they they have interaction with the child that's got the compromised immune system or something like that, or you're at the daycare facility and there's babies or something who haven't gotten the, who aren't old enough to get it, and, you know, one of those kids gets sick. I mean, that's that's where the dynamic is. It's not just about protecting your child it's about protecting everybody and i guess one of the things that is frustrating to me is is there's just a lot of misinformation that that's out there and it goes back to the jenny mccarthy days and a completely and totally discredited study which tried to link some of these various vaccines to um again instances of 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 autism and things like that And, and those studies have largely actually almost completely been you know been discredited so i think it's one of those things where if you're considering doing this again for the sake of everyone else it's worth having a real heart-to-heart talk with your your pediatrician as opposed to saying okay well i i see these four people on the internet who say that you know they got the vaccine and then they got sick so that means that there all must automatically be some sort of correlation to it because again what's frustrating to me is we have eliminated these diseases these were childhood diseases which caused a lot of problems for a lot of people and they're gone Medical science was able to figure out a way to largely eradicate them, and now they are coming back because, I don't know, somebody saw Jenny McCarthy on a TV show and made the decision not to vaccinate their kids. Huh. It's 2.53. When we come back, we're going to find out what John McCure has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Please stick around.